when you start a company, you're constantly iterating on the idea and how can I make it better? How can I develop another revenue stream? How can I have another customer base? And that's part of what makes entrepreneurship so fun and intellectually stimulating is that the sky's the limit. Welcome in to Studying Success. On this podcast, I interview investors and entrepreneurs who tell us about their life, the ins and outs of their industries, and the different ways that they have found success. Hey, Brian. So great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Will. I was hoping we could start with a little introduction. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? My name is Brian Burkhart. I'm the founder and CEO of Worksmith, which is a software company based here in Austin, Texas. I started about six years ago. We have 30 employees today. We're growing really quickly. We, we doubled revenue last year. Uh, our plan is to, to double again this year. Could you tell us your life story, like where you grew up all the way until where you are now? I was born in Pittsburgh. I'm a huge Steelers fan. When we were really young, my parents moved the family to Wheeling, West Virginia. And so my brother and I, brother's name is Kevin, who he now works at Amazon. We grew up in Wheeling, West Virginia. And then both of us went to college in Philadelphia at Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania. And for me, it was the only place I wanted to go because Wharton undergrad has the oldest entrepreneurship program in the country. And so I was really excited to, to go there, you know, from younger than your age, you know, when I was growing up, I read business periodicals and magazines and dreamed of business ideas and started small businesses when I was growing up. And so I was really excited to get to go to Wharton and, and study entrepreneurship. And from there, when I graduated, I moved to Austin for my first job, which was at a software company called Trilogy. And Trilogy was started by this guy, Joe Lemont, who was sort of the Mark Zuckerberg of our generation of the late 90s. He had dropped out of Stanford, started this company called Trilogy, started recruiting folks from colleges in the Northeast and from California and brought them all to the middle of Texas, Austin, Texas. And so when I started, I was one of 70, 22-year-olds who all landed in Austin and starting for this entrepreneurial company, met my wife there and stayed for a year and a half or so, and then moved to California to San Francisco to join a small startup called Calidus. And I ended up staying at Calidus for 10 years and helped grow that business to over $100 million in revenue we took it public in 2003. You know, one of the greatest experiences of my career was being part of the group in New York at the NASDAQ, ringing the bell to signify our IPO when I was 28 years old. And so anyway, stayed there for 10 years, ultimately ran global sales. And after a decade of doing enterprise software, I left, I took some time off. And then I thought I wanted to try my hand at a consumer business. And so looked at a bunch of different ideas and ended up starting a company called H. Bloom, which was a high-end flower delivery service, a, a, a high-end 1-800-Flowers. And we set up a network of fulfillment partners, local flower shops who would do the deliveries. We built software to take orders from customers, communicate them to the delivery partners, confirm completion, even get photographs 
of the flowers being delivered. And then we handled all the payment. I did that for a little over four years and, and we sold the H Bloom business to a private equity firm called 10th Avenue Holdings. And then I started the company that I run today called Worksmith and, and Worksmith actually evolved from the H Bloom business where even though I had started H Bloom to do a consumer company selling to individual people, we started to get a lot of business customers and primarily multi-location retailers, restaurants, hotels who wanted flowers to be delivered every week, but didn't want to deal with having to place orders all the time and deal with a bunch of different mom and pop shops that used H Bloom to make that a really automated process. And one of the customers for H Bloom was Nespresso, the coffee company. And I ended up taking out one of the, the main points of contact from Nespresso to lunch. And I thanked him for the business that he was giving to H Bloom. But I asked him the question, why did you do this? And he said, we need flowers in our space. It's a high-end product, Nespresso coffee machines and flowers make a store look luxurious. But trying to deal with 40, he had 40 stores at the time, 40 mom and pop flower shops was really painful. Whereas with H Bloom, he pushed a button and stuff just happened. And I asked him the question, you know, gosh, are there other sorts of services that you need at your stores. And he said, holy mackerel, we've got handyman, plumber, painter, electrician, locksmith, cleaner, window cleaner, dry cleaner for employee uniforms. And, you know, you hear about entrepreneurs having their light bulb moment. And that was a light bulb moment for me where I recognized that the experience that I'd had at H Bloom, building a network of vendors, developing software to manage those vendors, which we had plied to one vertical at H Bloom, which was flowers, I was now hearing this this guy from Nespresso describe what sounded like a much bigger business opportunity. And in an environment in which we could be selling to businesses exclusively as opposed to selling to individual consumers. And so I actually said to him at the lunch, if I came back to you with a software company to do for all of your different service lines, what you've just asked H. Bloom to do for flowers, would that be interesting? And that's what happened. We sold the H. Bloom business. I started Worksmith. And today, Nespresso ended up being our very first customer. They're still a great customer today. But that's the business that that we have at Worksmith. We work with commercial customers, retailers, restaurants, salons, spas, gyms, health care centers, you know, clinics, and they use our software to connect with a curated network of great local service providers, the handyman, the cleaners, the, the painters, et cetera, to get jobs done, to maintain and really create and enhance a wonderful space for their employees, for their customers, et cetera. Could you walk us through how one goes about starting a business? Well, I think it varies business to business. And for the two companies I've started, H. Bloom and Worksmith, they were started in very different ways. H. Bloom, I sort of sat in a room by myself and did a bunch of research online and came up with ideas. Whereas with Worksmith, the idea came from having an interaction and hearing about a specific pain point and appreciating that I was uniquely qualified based on my experience at H. Bloom to deliver the solution. And I would say the the way that I started Worksmith is is what I would 
highly recommend, which is having an idea based on an actual lived experience versus just some concept that you make up in your room. That's number one. Number two, after I talked to this guy at Nespresso, the next step that I took was, okay, I need to figure out, is the problem that this gentleman just articulated unique to him? Or is it something that lots of people have? Because if lots of people have it, that represents a big market opportunity. And so I reached out on LinkedIn to about 100 people with titles similar to the person that I had talked to at Nespresso. And I emailed them, you know, through LinkedIn, you can message people. And I messaged them with just a very genuine, I'm thinking about this business idea. I'd love to get your feedback on it. Could you spare 15 minutes of time on the phone? And it turns out that loads of people are willing to be helpful with you. And particularly if they feel like they're not being sold to, they're willing to give time. And I got tons of great feedback. So that's the second thing of, you know, confirming with more than just one person, but dozens and dozens of people that this is a real problem area. The third thing that I would say is because of my experience at H. Bloom of building a network of vendors and, and software to manage them, I felt uniquely positioned to go work on this. Meaning there are lots of ideas, but I might not. And in fact, I, I feel like I experienced this at the beginning of H. Bloom of I wanted to do a consumer business, but I didn't know how to do that. My, my experience and what I think I'm, I'm, you know, if I have any talents, I think I'm particularly good at sort of business to business sales. And so getting to do that at Worksmith has been terrific. But, but I think those are the early things of like having an idea from a lived experience, go and, and really corroborate that the idea is a good one, making sure that even if it's a good idea that you're uniquely positioned based on your talents and experience and background to deliver a solution. And then the last thing I would say is you got to go then get a sale. Even if it's it's for almost zero dollars, like it's one thing to ask someone, hey, does this sound interesting? It's another thing to get them to pay you anything to do it. But that that was the experience and and you know, ever since we've been off to the races. One other thing I would say, you were asking earlier about, you know, the different characteristics of success and all that stuff. And I think I've told you this story before, but I'm a huge believer in the Rhino principle. And just for for people who are not familiar with this, maybe 10 or so years ago in the magazine Forbes, you know, Forbes magazine, there was a author, a famous British historian, Paul Johnson, who wrote a column in Forbes called The Rhino Principle. And the article starts off with Paul Johnson describing the rhinoceros and saying, there's no good reason for the rhino to be alive today. It should be extinct like the dinosaurs, except for one special unique trait, which is When the rhinoceros identifies an opportunity or perceives a threat, the rhino will charge over and over and over again with extraordinary tenacity and persistence until the opportunity is achieved or the threat is thwarted. And Johnson in the article goes on to compare the rhino to great entrepreneurs and says, 
It's not necessarily the best idea, not necessarily the smartest people. Of course, you'd love to have both of those, but it's really the ability to just grind it out to with extraordinary tenacity and, and resilience charge over and over and over again to capitalize on the opportunity. Where do you go to find articles like this? So a bunch of different places. Every morning I wake up, make coffee, I read the New York Times on my iPad, the Wall Street Journal. I have a blog feeder called Feedly, F-E-E-D-L-Y, which I would highly recommend. It's free. You download it. And then you can choose publications and topics that are interesting for you. And Feedly every night will aggregate all of them. And the next morning I wake up and here are all these different articles from 25 different publications that Feedly has identified I would be interested in. So, you know, I get a lot from there. A couple of podcasts, like I listen to the All In podcast, which I think is really interesting. It comes out every Friday, I think. But I think that that's a a key part of entrepreneurship or success or business success in general is continuous curiosity and willingness to learn. Having ideas, going and researching them. First of all, it's fun. But second, if you continue to put yourself in a position of continuous learning, you'll identify other opportunities, right? Like I would have never thought of the idea for Worksmith if I had not asked the question to the Nespresso guy at lunch, are there other types of services that you you struggle with like you did flowers, which is why you, you ordered from H. Bloom? Having natural curiosity and being willing to ask questions. Some people, I guess, aren't comfortable doing that, but I I think it just makes for such an interesting life and it also avails you to opportunities that you wouldn't have otherwise had. What did you do day to day in each of those jobs? So at Calidus, I started out in a role that's typically called like business development or account development or inside sales where I was 23 years old. I was given a list of types of companies that would potentially be a good customer for Calidus. And I emailed them and I called them. It was literally like I would drive into the office from San Francisco at seven o'clock in the morning. I would make calls and emails until noon. I'd run out and get some lunch. And then I'd make calls and emails until like six and then I'd go work out at the gym and then I'd come back to the office. This is obviously pre-kids. Come back to the office and then make my list of targets for the next day and then do this thing the next day. It's actually a great introductory role to business because you're getting to talk to potential customers and hearing their problems and practicing how to articulate a solution. And it's typically the first step in a sales process. And so I graduated from there to be an account executive, which is a being a salesperson. In fact, I had been lobbying to be a salesperson when I first got there. And our CEO, Reed, who's been a great mentor of mine, said, you know, you're too young. You don't have the experience yet. And what happened was I made so many calls that we got a meeting with a company called Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines in Miami. And I went to Reed, our CEO, and I said, hey, we have a meeting, you know, a sales meeting who should go meet with them? And he said, well, there's not you, like there's nobody else. So I flew to Miami from California. I met with them and I flew back again. And, and we ultimately 
sold a deal and they signed a contract and paid us a bunch of money. They became a customer. And I went back to read and I said, now, now I've sold something. I've got to be a salesperson. And so I got promoted to be a salesperson and I was the account executive of the year, two years in a row. And then I asked to be a sales director and I managed our West Coast sales team and then moved to New York and managed our East Coast sales team and then eventually all of the U.S. and then eventually all of global sales and the, the role changes, like all cold calls to now in a sales role, you know, somebody else is making the cold calls and I'm just taking the meetings and trying to close deals and then as a director of sales, managing the salespeople, and then as a VP or SVP of sales, managing the people who manage the salespeople. So that, that was sort of my path at Caldas. And then at H. Plume, it was a totally different thing of really wandering in the dark. Like I created this thing that was brand new and therefore everything was like, a, I don't know how to do this. I got to go figure it out. And of course, not just me, but with the help of the team, I'm hiring the people, raising money from investors, selling to customers, all that stuff. And then I would say Worksmith was a little bit different in that because so much of my experience at H. Bloom was applicable to Worksmith, it's really been about setting the strategy and direction, hiring the right people. And, and thankfully, some of those folks came with me from H. Bloom to Worksmith, but then just being confident about running the play. We know we're doing the right things. It takes time to build the software for the clients, for the vendors, figure out the business model. But it's been a very different experience. H. Bloom was like reaching out of the dark. How, how do we figure all this stuff out? And Worksmith has been much more about how do we execute on a playbook that we already sort of know. You said you doubled in revenue last year. What are your goals for Worksmith in this year? And where do you imagine Worksmith going in the future? That's a great question. It's a couple of different things I would say. You know, first of all, one of the things I love about business is that it's a competitive outlet. I grew up playing sports and I was really competitive and wanted to win and all, all that stuff. And business provides an outlet for that. So for people who have that sort of personality type, just a great way to spend time. Generally, you know, I want to double revenue again this year. We're going to get to profitability this year. We think we're on path to building a really big business. So that's the first part of it. But the second part is more of an emotional thing and really fulfilling thing, which is, you know, I talked about Worksmith is a two-sided marketplace where we connect businesses like retailers and restaurants with all the local service providers that they need to maintain their facilities or physical space. And for that side of the marketplace, these are local small businesses, the local cleaner, the local air conditioning maintenance company, the local handyman or painter. And the small businesses that we work with are typically a few employees to up to say 50 employees. And to be able to go to these small businesses and say, we can help you. We can help you grow to be bigger by providing you with new sales. Yeah. We can provide you with software to run a more efficient, sophisticated business such that mm -hmm. you can grow without having to hire a bunch of people and, and take on a lot of cost. It's really making an impact. The top earning local service provider on our platform last year 
made $2 million through WorkSmith, right? It it is life-changing. I mean, we get handwritten notes in the office saying things like, I took my kids to Disney World last year because of WorkSmith. And so, you know, when you ask, you know, what are aspirations? Of course, I have personal ones of how big I want the business to be and, you know, how fast I want us to grow. But I also have a very personal or emotional one, which is, if we can go market by market and help these small business owners get to go on vacation or pay for their kids' college or, you know, just have a bigger business and, and nicer life as a result, that's pretty awesome. And I'd love to do that for a long time. To wrap this up, what is the best piece of advice you can offer? I guess I would say two things. One is a very important part of success is predicated on the people that you know. And therefore, having a really great network of smart folks with resources and connections and willingness to help is super important. And therefore, the the specific piece of advice would be put yourself in as many situations as possible where you meet interesting, smart, driven, ambitious, interesting people and figure out how to stay in touch with them over a lifetime because you never know who you went to school with or who you went to camp with or who you played in the jazz band with will end up being an interesting friend, lifelong business partner, or you can share investment ideas, or you end up being in the same town together. And nobody's thinking about that when you're 16 years old. But if you do, you'll be in a better position to just think about, wow, it was amazing to meet this really smart person. It'd be really cool to stay in touch with them and put in a calendar reminder or whatever to keep in touch with them. I think that's a big deal. And then the last thing that I would say, just for anybody who's interested in startups or entrepreneurship is why not do it? What's the downside? When I was at Wharton, there was a class that I really wanted to get into. It was like my sophomore, I think I was a junior. And I applied to the class and the professor, Miles Bass, responded saying, sorry, this is only for MBAs, business school students. It's not for undergrads. And I'm sure lots of people would get that feedback and say like, well, I guess I can't take this class. And I thought, well, what's, I don't have any downside. I might as well give it another shot. You know, Rhino like, and I emailed him back and I said, I think I'm qualified. I really think (laughs) I'd be good for this class. And I think you'd love to, you'd enjoy me as a, uh, a member of the class. And so I know that that's the rule, but I'd really appreciate you making an exception, which he did do. Well, Brian, thank you so much for your time. We oh, really appreciate it. This has been it. fantastic. I'm so excited to see what you do with this podcast. And by the way, I'd say I'd be delighted to be helpful or, or provide feedback. So my email is brian, B-R-Y-N, at worksmith.com. You know, if anybody wants help or advice or questions they want to ask, I'm happy to do it. As always, thank you for listening. And please make sure you subscribe to get updated when new podcasts come out. I'm Will Burkhart, and you've been listening to Studying Success.